Well, we are returning this week to our series that we've been going through, and we'll, we'll be at it for a couple more weeks until Advent. And the series we've been calling Shadows of Christ. And what we've been doing is looking at the worship of ancient Israel and how it both predicts and prepares for the person of Jesus Christ. And we've been looking at everything from the worship spaces, the tabernacle, things like the offerings, and we've moved now on to the people, the priests. And we spent one week looking at the identity of the priest. This week we'll look at the duties. And as I was thinking about that, I was thinking again because we're talking about clothing, and here you have our little uh, model of a high priest's clothing, just so you have a visual. And with uh, Veterans Day, it got me just exploring a little bit about military clothing and the significance of it. I went to one uh, web page that was either the web page, um, official web page of the Marines or one that was just put up, I'm not sure. And um, they began to describe the significance of the uniform. For instance, the eagle pin represents pride and the globe pin represents presence in the world. The anchor pin represents the naval history. The red stripe that goes down the blue trousers is referred to as the scarlet stripe or the blood stripe, commemorating those that have fallen in battle. And the sword was actually a gift from a North African chief to a lieutenant in 1805. And at the top of the page, this is what they said, Every stitch of a Marine uniform represents the ethos and spirit of the Corps. You could say the same thing about the high priest. Every stitch of his garb, of his uniform, so to speak, spoke meaning, had meaning. We've been talking about that. The way that the colors of the uniform were the same that the colors were used in the tabernacle, the tent, so people could make the connection. He's sort of like a mini tabernacle. Where we talked about the head, which was the turban, and on the front it said, holy to the Lord. Or the ephod, which was an undergarment, which was white, that was to represent the righteousness of the Lord. And as we talked about the identity, we also moved into the idea of the priest as an offering, because in a sense, a priest priest conducts an offering, but when you get to Christ, the high priest, he is the offering. He is the final sacrifice that's given to draw people near to God. He is the one that God has given to complete all of the sacrifices that were made. And so I want to come back to this passage this week and finish up looking at the significance of the high priest and what he wore by focusing on the breast piece and the shoulder stones, we'll call them. Um, and as we do that, we'll be looking as well at the Urim and the Thummim and the duties of a priest. But let's do that under two categories, that the priest's duties were understanding the will of God and bearing the burden of the presence of the people into the presence of God, bearing the people before God, literally. So let's start with understanding God's will. 
couple days ago, I heard the, Paul, the, the song by the great songwriter Paul Simon, Slip Sliding Away. And if you know that song, in the final verse, he says, God only knows, God makes his plans, the information's unavailable to the mortal man. Now, I think for many people, that sums up what they believe about God. God's got his thoughts, he's got his ways and his plans, and, you know, we really don't know. We're trying to read the circumstances of our life like tea leaves. But when you come to the Bible, you, you find something very different than that. You find a God who initiates speaking. You find a God that is reaching. You find a God that wants to communicate so much he comes in flesh and blood in the person of Jesus Christ, and one of his nicknames is the Word. Because he wants us to know his will. One of the ways that the duties of the priest demonstrated this was God planted priests in every tribe. Remember, this was a time where there weren't any Bibles. This was a time when a lot of people probably couldn't read. So God would plant these priests into tribes, then later into cities, so people could understand the law of Moses. They could understand the will of God. But even with all of that, they didn't get all the information for their questions, just like you and me. So God puts in the pocket of the high priest something called the Urim and the Thummim. And, you know, it's, sort of, it's mentioned in verse 30. And we don't know a lot about it. That translation means light and perfection. The best we can tell, they were, they were these stones. And maybe they had a yes and one had a no on it. Or maybe they were color-coded. But basically, the priest would cast the lot. And whatever fell would be the answer from God. I was reminded, as I was studying about this passage, of uh, that toy magic eight ball. Anybody remember Magic 8-Ball? You know, you could say, uh, am I wearing a blue shirt? Yes or no, right? Or you could ask any question, and you could see yes or no. And I think many of us would love that, right? We look at the Urim and the Thummim like that. I wish I could have some of those in my pocket. Should I take this job? Yes. No. Right? We envy those of the Old Testament. But, you know, the truth was, they didn't use it for just sort of ordinary, everyday questions. They were like you and I. They had to use godly common sense to make decisions. They only went with future questions. Questions like, was Israel to go against this nation in war? Or during the book of Nehemiah, when the priestly line had broken down and they were trying to figure out who in the world descended really from the priests, they would use it. And there were requirements when the Urim and the Thummim were used. Number one, only the head of the tribe could inquire and bring a question to the high priest. And you could only bring one at a time. And it was just, wasn't an individual, but the group's question that they brought. On top of that, you could only ask yes or no questions. And you could only ask questions that were going to be given by lot. Now, one of the themes that we've been seeing throughout the Bible is this, that the coming of Jesus Christ makes everything better. All right? However good, if you look back at the Old Testament and think, man, that would have been really good. The coming of Jesus Christ makes everything better. Everything that was good in the Old Testament gets better with the New Testament. And that's the case with this high priest. Because 
We have the sort of high priest that brings not just one request before God on our behalf, but as many as you want to give him. And it doesn't have to be just a group think. It could be your personal, very individual request. And it doesn't have to be just big future questions. It can be the smallest little thing that you have to bring. And the high priest will seek God's will for you about it. On top of that, those of us that live in the writing of the New Testament have much more information, sure information, about the future and many of our future questions. For instance, what about my future? How's my life going to go? Is it going to go really bad or really good? The Lord answers. I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil to give you hope and a future. Or maybe this is the question. What about provision? Will I have what I need to live? The Lord answers. Do not be anxious about your life. What will you eat? What will you put on? Your Father knows you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. We ask the question, Lord, what about my health? You know, will, will I ever get past this sickness, or will I live until I'm 70? The Lord answers, though outwardly we are wasting away, for this light momentary affliction is preparation for an eternal weight of glory. And then we ask the Lord, what about my fears? Fears that I might be hurt, violence, persecution, that I might be harmed because of my faith or because of my race. What will happen with my kids? What about terrorists? The Lord answers, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, or sword? No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. And then maybe lastly we say, well, what about the end of the world? I mean, it sounds like global warming is going to bring that really quick. You know, what do we do? What about all the things we're afraid of? What about the end of the world as we know it? The Lord sings back, I feel fine. <laughs> Why does he feel fine? And I saw the holy city, New, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. With the coming of Jesus Christ into the world, we have far more good news about the future than you could ever get from those two stones. From the high priest of God that has been given to us, and when you think about it, it's the big questions that sort out the little questions. Sometimes we get caught in the little questions, and we forget that the big questions sort out the little questions. I came across a Harvard Business Review article, and it was titled, Deciding How to Decide. Deciding how to decide. And it was about how senior management have to make tough decisions. But what they say, they ask questions like this. First of all, do you understand what critical success is. Do you have metrics to ensure success? What are they doing? They're saying before you make all those little decisions, you basically have to ask the big one of what is success? What do I think success is? And it's really a similar model you and I are to use. You see, God has answered the big questions. And it's as you and I understand the big questions, we can sort out the little ones. 
the questions we have about God's will. For instance, maybe right now you're asking, should I take a risk? I feel like God is calling me to take a risk. Maybe it's a move. Maybe it's a new job. Maybe it's a new relationship. And again, you hear the Lord answer and say, listen, do not fear. You have a hope in the future. Do not be anxious about the future. I will provide for you. It gives you room to think about what I want to do. Or let's think about taking a new job. Often the things we focus on, will it advance my career? Will the salary be better? But if you seek God's will, you'd ask different questions, like will this be a good work-life balance for the relationships in my life? Will this salary actually tempt me? Will this job bring out the worst of my character or the best of my character? Those are the more important questions that you and I have to ask. You see, all these little questions, they're going to just change over time. There's always a new one. They're just wearing different clothes, right? But it's these big questions that God has provided for you and I. We tend to be focused on the what, when, and where, and God is focused on the who and why. Let me give you an example of this from the book of Romans. Listen to how God thinks about discerning decisions. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Guidance comes from knowing the guide, right? Guidance comes from knowing the guide, knowing his heart and his character. And really the most important question you could ever answer is, will I trust Christ? Will I come to know God and trust him? That's absolutely the most important question any of us has to answer in our lives. You know, you've heard me say before, discerning God's will, I think it really comes down to a couple simple things. When someone comes to me and and has a question about, you know, do I move, do I do this, I basically just walk them through this. If you come to see me, you'll say, that's pretty much what he did, and it was very unsatisfying. But, you know, this is all I know how to do. Number one, to say, well, have, have you consulted the Word of God? Are you free morally to do this thing? Number two, have you prayed and asked God's Spirit to give you leadance and intuition and guidance? Number three, have you sought counsel among the priesthood of all believers? And if you say, yes, 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 woo, jump, jump, right? We won't fall off the flat earth. God loves us. And this is actually a sign of maturity. When, when we were little, we were told what to do, right? You know, uh, use your fork, put on your shoes. Every little thing, a little person is told what to do because they don't know. If God told you everything to do, you would never grow up. You would never develop sanctified common sense. You would never sit there and go, is this wise in terms of love? This is testimony to your dignity. This is testimony so when we feel frustrated and sit there and go, I want to know, just tell me what to do. It might be unloving for the Lord to tell you what to do. When God's people were in their toddlerhood, he gave them lots of laws. After Christ comes, he doesn't give as many, does he? He gives us guidelines. And he gives us one another. The priesthood of all believers. We instruct one another. The book of Colossians says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. 
See, our high priest didn't need two stones. He has infinite wisdom and knowledge. And he has promised by his spirit to give it to, to you and I. But let's move to the second and last point. The high priest not only helped discerning God's will, but he would bear the people into the presence of God. One of the duties of the priest was to keep the nightlight on in God's house. Okay? It was keep, to keep the fire burning, burning on the lampstand. In fact, you know, it's not easy to stay up at night. It's not easy to stay up during a sermon, isn't it? Especially when it's hot like this, right? I'm not picking on you. I, I have the same trouble when I hear people preach. I'm mostly interested in my voice, uh, you know. So basically, you know, it's not easy. And, and, and these guys would be in this tabernacle all night long. I think it's so great. God actually gave them a little song to sing. Sometimes when you're tired, you can sing a song. And so he gave them. Psalm 134 that said, Come bless the Lord, all you servants of the Lord, who stand by night in the house of the Lord. A little song to remember what they were doing was important. Why? Because that flame represented the eternal presence of God. God said, My people must know that I'm always here. I'm always present. I'm always on call for them. It was so important to him that when he sent his son into the world, he gave him the name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Do you know that God could never leave you? He can never leave you. He's not only said it in his word, but he has named his son, I can't ever leave you. God with us, no matter how distant he might feel from you. That flame is still burning. Christ keeps it burning for you and I. But he wanted them to know not only was he present, but they could come into his presence. And so he dresses the high priest in a breastpiece with precious stones and shoulder pads, in a sense, that have these two stones. Let's look at those together. Now, we didn't have time to read all the way through the breastpiece. You can see it sort of illustrated there. But in verses 17 and 21, we find that they're precious gems, things like sapphire, emeralds, diamonds. I mean, this is really good stuff. And he puts them and he says, I want you to line them up in rows of four, and I want you to write the name of the tribe of Israel on each stone. What do you think he's trying to communicate? My people are precious and valuable to me, the most valuable And I wear them close to my heart. I wear them close to my heart. So high priest, you're going to wear that, and they're going to see it every day. They're going to see it every time that you go into that. We have a tradition where we'll carry stuff that's important to us close to our heart. Maybe it's a locket. Maybe it's a friendship necklace, you know, where there's half a necklace and someone else has the other half. Soldiers will carry a photo in their pocket of the people they treasure and love. Jesus Christ carried a photo of you into battle. Jesus Christ carries his people into the battle that he faced because the high priest holds his people close to his heart. He's the one, the Lord, that says, because you are honored and precious in my sight, I give men in exchange for you. I will give my son in exchange for you. He said to Israel, you are my treasured possession, and you'll know it when you see it on the heart of the priest. 
And yet again, it gets better in the New Testament because we find that the Son of God then speaks directly to us and says, I know my sheep by name. I call you by name. And just with the same love that the Father has loved me with, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. And so when Jesus comes before the Father, bearing you his treasure, just like you, you know, you've all done this, right, where maybe someone gets engaged and they put the ring in front of you and and you go, wow, at least you you pretend to say wow, right? (laughs) But seriously, I mean, if someone saw precious rubies, what does God see when his treasure is coming forth in the person of his son? When he hears your name, when he sees you, wow. That's beautiful. That's my treasured possession that my son died for and has loved. When Jesus talks about anxiety and counsels, what does he say over and over in that Luke passage about the sparrows and this and that? He keeps saying, do you not know how much more valuable you are than they? He keeps asking, do you not know how much more valuable you are? What else could God do to convey to you and I that we are his precious jewels. He who gave his own son, how much more? What else could he give? And this is what he has done for you, carrying you close to his heart. Let's repent from believing that we're not close to God's heart. Can we do that? Let's repent in believing that we're not valuable to God. Can we do that? Let's repent in believing that we're not precious. And when Jesus prays for us, he's not passionate and full of feeling because the high priest's heart is close to his gems. Can we repent of that? We can. We can say, I'm going to stop doing that, God. But then he also carries them on his shoulder. The breast piece was strapped to the shoulder, and there was these stones, and we read, you shall take two onyx stones and engrave on them the names of the sons of Israel, and you shall set the two stones on the shoulder pieces of the ephod, and Aaron shall bear their names before the priest, before the Lord, on his two shoulders for remembrance. The people were being born on the shoulders of the high priest. He was carrying their burdens to God. That's what they would see into the presence of God. You know, some of the uh, photos that are most moving when you look at soldiers, military photos, are the ones where you see soldiers carrying their wounded. And uh, I, told, I think I mentioned I've been watching Ken Burns and Lynn Novak's film, The Vietnam War, which uh, really, I, I tell you, it's been, I, I think it's really been wonderful. I love how they show the dignity of both sides, not just the American side, but the Vietnamese side, the courage, the honor, the struggle. But there's a story that one of the Marines tells, and he said, well, you know, as a Marine, uh, our slogan is, you don't leave one, we don't leave one of ours behind, whether they're wounded. And then he told his own story and experience of this. This wasn't just theory to him. He said, I was in the jungle. I was in a firefight. I could see the actual sparks from the gun nine feet away. And before I knew it, I'm on my back with a hole this big in my chest. He said, but I knew... I wouldn't stay there because my fellow Marines, even though they would be laid out with the same gunfire, would come for me. And that's exactly what happened. Another Marine rode up to him and picked him up, began to carry him, and he got shot. 
and he staggers backward, and every time the guns go off, he falls on top of the other Marine to protect him. I couldn't help but think about the cross of Christ. You and I are the cross that Jesus carried. Do you see yourself on his back? You know, we are that wooden cross as he stumbled and staggered, and he fell over us and covered us as he was nailed to the cross, and your guilt and my guilt and your sin and my sin and your shame and my shame was nailed to him, and he bore the burden. As Isaiah prophesied, surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. He carried them. And what's amazing, in the book of Hebrews it says, for the joy set before him, he did it. It was his joy to carry your burden. We forget this. And it's not just the big burdens, it's the daily burdens. Psalm 68 says, Praise be to the Lord, to God our Savior, who daily bears our burdens. There are few people that want to hear our daily burdens. You know, there's a couple people that just have to. They live with us. They're married to us. Right? I confess, even today, in my own home, I found myself saying, Oh, I'm so done with this. You know, I'm, just, I'm, just, I'm done with it. You know, my patience is just that big to bear the burden of someone. And yet, God loves to hear your daily burdens. You know, the little things about your health. You know, this ankle. Ankles bother me a little bit today. Oh, man, I hope we get a parking space. Or, man, I hope I pass this test. Or, I don't, I, he loves to hear your daily burdens, even when everybody else is annoyed by them. In fact, here's what he says, throw them on me. Throw them on me. That's what the verse says, cast your cares where? Near the Lord, upon the Lord. Cast your cares right on him because he wants to shoulder them and carry them. And not just that, for a lifetime. The prophet says, even to your old age, I am he. I am he. I will carry you. I have made and I will bear. I will carry, and I will save. Even into your old age, he, he will be the one that carries you through the valley of the shadow of death. That's how you'll get across the River Jordan. He's going to put you on his shoulders and carry you through. But also, he's given us one another because we're priests of the high priest. That's why Paul says in Galatians, bear one another's burdens. For now, we're the body of Jesus. And so the way you start to experience this stuff is through his body. This is the thing about it. God directly communicates with our heart, but he has meant us to bear the burden. And I have to say, this is one of my joys of being in this community. Anytime we have a day where people give testimony, I just hear stories of our community bearing one another's burdens and bearing burdens of people in the city. This is the spirit of Christ in us. Let me end with this quote I have in front of your uh, bulletin because I think, you know, it, it says it well. A couple weeks ago, we celebrated the 500th anniversary of the Protestant Reformation. And this comes from scholar Timothy George. And he says, for Martin Luther, the priesthood of all believers did not mean I am my own priest. That's sort of the American view of things. 
I am my own priest. It meant rather in the community of saints, God has so tempered the body that we are all priests to each other. We stand before God and we intercede for one another. We, pro we proclaim God's word to one another and we celebrate his presence among us in worship, praise, and fellowship. Moreover, our priestly ministry does not terminate upon ourselves. It propels us into the world in service and witness. Well said. And so, in closing, we find out that the clothes of the high priest have been fulfilled by Jesus Christ, and you, my brothers and sisters, are clothed with Christ. So let's pray. We thank you for the fulfillment of our deepest longings through the great high priest Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for the thoughtfulness of your word over thousands of years, the way you built upon it to instruct us. And thank you for making us the priesthood. I pray even today that someone carrying a heavy burden would feel someone share that burden. In Christ's name, amen.